Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. No, it's funny, Mr. Producer. I never get a thank you from all the other broadcasters for all the work I put into their work, their production. Do you know what I mean, Rich? I told you folks, I have to make a decision every morning. I don't sleep a lot, which drives my doctors nuts. What do I do? I research. I look. Defending liberty to me is a 24-7 endeavor. I've been blessed with a microphone. Even more than TV cameras, I've been blessed with this microphone. Radio is my passion. It's my passion. If I weren't on Fox or weren't on Levin TV, I'd still have radio. But I'm thrilled to be on both, don't get me wrong. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine, finds this little tweet out there from an individual I never heard of before. And says, you might want to take a look at this. So I take a look at it. And it's a video of John Bolding being interviewed by Radio Free Europe. You've probably heard this all day now. You've probably seen it on TV during the the impeachment trial. You've probably seen it on Fox now. It started with us. I have to make a decision. And Rich, you've been with me now over 15 years, haven't you? 16, and he is the best. The best. Particularly since he has to put up with my insomnia. But anyway, here's the thing. I have to make a decision like I told you yesterday. Do I save this stuff for the program? And then I'm the only host with it. Or do I get it out there? And I say to myself, we're in the middle of an impeachment trial. The Democrats keep asking for John Bolton. The New York Times is trying to sabotage the impeachment trial on the President of the United States. I can't sit here with this information, with this videotape, and wait for my cleanup slot at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I have to get it out there. We have about 2 million people following us on Twitter and almost a million and a half on Facebook. We are followed by local and national radio hosts, by people on cable TV, People in the White House. All kinds of people. I don't even know who all of them are. How could I? But we know they follow us because they steal my thoughts in broadcast. 
That's okay. The reason I put it on social media is for us and to push it out to everyone else. So I said to my wife, Julie, and said to Mr. Producer via email, let's get this up there. What time did we get it up there? Do you remember, Rich? Early morning. But I had it earlier. I had it earlier, but I said, I got it. I can't put it up at four in the morning. So we put it up. And I wrote it. I said, look, I know that the backbenchers are going to devour this. I know that <clears throat> they're going to claim to have exclusive video, breaking news. I know they're going to play it over and over and over again before I get on the air. And you know what? I want them to do it. Because the American people need to know the truth. So it worked its way in the cable TV. It works its way on the God knows how many radio shows, national and local. It worked its way onto the Senate floor. And those of you who've been listening to talk radio all day or watching this debate, they've been watching Fox, you've seen it and you've heard it. But not from me. I didn't originate the tweet, but I sent it viral. And even now, the President of the United States has tweeted it. Has he not, Mr. Producer? Just now. Linking to the Fox version. It's a crucially, crucially important video. Which is why I decided, can't wait till my show, get it out. Can you imagine if my show were 6 to 9 in the morning? Or noon to 3, or 3 to 6? But here I am. The way I look at it is, I'm the first show for tomorrow. What do you think of that? Now we're going to play this, and I had some commentary on it as well when I posted it, but I, I want to really address this, because many of you have not heard it or seen it. But even for those of you who have. And I want to thank my friend for sending it over the transom and giving me a heads up. I want you to listen very carefully. We're going to listen to it straight through. Then we'll go back and I'll break it down for you. Cut to go. The follow-up to my visit last year on Independence Day where I was... Uh, All right, I already blew it. This is an interview in late August 2019. In late August 2019, John Bolton is either fired or resigns in September, shortly thereafter. Okay? So we already had the two calls between the President of the United States and the President of Ukraine, including the July 25 call. Where people say, oh my God, that call. Lieutenant Colonel Vimmin was shocked by it. The CIA operative, the so-called whistleblower, couldn't believe it. They, they, were, they were shocked by it. It was, it was the cause of the whistleblower and the, and the confidential complaint. Which started the whole thing. Oh my God, the pressure campaign, the whole thing. And John Bolton is familiar with the call. Two calls. In August, late August, 2019. And there he is, being interviewed. Radio Free Europe. He must have been appalled. Or at a minimum, he would never bring up the calls in a positive way, would he? Well, you listen. Cut to go. The follow-up to my visit last year on Independence Day, where I was uh, really honored to have a chance to participate in that. Uh, and now with the new government in Ukraine to see what might be possible going forward on a whole variety of fronts. 
Do you plan to visit to meet President Zelensky and what messages uh, did you bring to him? Well, I, I will be meeting President Zelensky. Uh, he and President Trump have already spoken twice. Uh, uh, President called to congratulate President Zelensky on his election and then on his success in the parliamentary election. They were very warm and cordial calls. Uh, we're hoping that uh, they'll be able to meet in Warsaw and have a few minutes together uh, because the success of Ukraine, uh, maintaining its freedom, uh, its system of representative government, uh, a free market economy free of corruption, uh, and dealing with the problems of the Donbass and the Crimea are uh, high priorities here, obviously, but high priorities for the United States as well. Hello? Hello? The calls were warm and cordial. And it is a high priority for the United States government that Ukraine is free of corruption. From John Bolton. A little different than what's being leaked out from his manuscript, whether it's accurate or not. The call, both calls, but the call that's been the focus, warm and cordial, and it is a priority of the United States government, that would be the president, that they're free of corruption. The president has said repeatedly there was no tie between military aid and any investigation, whether it's the Bidens or even the interference in the 2016 election. While he was interested in both, he was concerned about corruption in Ukraine. And he wanted to make sure your tax dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, including in military offensive weaponry, wouldn't be wasted, which has been a consistent position of this president when it comes to foreign aid and military aid. And he wanted to make sure European countries were contributing their fair share, which has been his position repeatedly when it comes to things like NATO. Ladies and gentlemen, the president has been telling the truth from day one, the transcript from the phone call is perfectly fine. I keep hearing these people say he just should have confessed and said it wasn't a perfect phone call, that he should never raise, mention the Bidens. Why? Why? He's the President of the United States. He's responsible for making sure our national elections aren't corrupted. He needs to make sure people are complying with the law. I keep hearing the Democrats on the Senate floor, the House managers, a.k.a. the frauds, I keep hearing them say things like, he asked Ukraine to interfere in our election. Those words are nowhere in the transcript. Nowhere. And why do the Democrats assume that the Bidens are corrupt? What is it they like to say? If the president's innocent, why doesn't he do this? And why doesn't he do that? And what's he afraid of an investigation? Well, if the Bidens are innocent, what's the problem? The problem is, folks, they're not innocent. And there's been no anal exam on the Bidens, God forbid. It was a warm and cordial phone call, according to the National Security Advisor, who would be gone within a month. And one of the great priorities, a high priority, quote-unquote, 
of the administration, that would be the Trump administration, was that Ukraine would be free of corruption. What you're seeing on the Senate floor is an orchestrated coup attempt that has taken over, devoured our Congress. We get in debates now about witnesses. It's down to witnesses. Witnesses the House didn't even pursue. This is a disgrace to our country, to our history. I want you to listen to this one more time. You're going to hear it many times. I'm sure national and local hosts have been playing it over and over again. I handed it to them. It's okay. It's gone viral. It's everywhere. That's good. It needs to. Because it puts the end to the lie. Now the dead enders and the headbangers, nothing puts the end to all their lies. Whether it's Russia or campaign finance violations or whatever the hell it is. But if any Republican now votes for a witness, you know they're not doing it based on concerns or facts or a trial or the Constitution. They're doing it out of personal animus against the president or because they're cowards running scared in a re-election effort. It's that simple. There was absolutely no justification for voting for John Bolton to be a witness. Let's play it again, Mr. Producer, from the top. Go. The follow-up to my visit last year on Independence Day, where I was uh, really honored to have a chance to participate in that, uh, and now with the new government in Ukraine to see what might be possible going forward on a whole variety of fronts. Do you plan to visit, to meet President Zelensky and what messages uh, did you bring to him? Well, I, I will be meeting President Zelensky. Uh, he and President Trump have already spoken twice. Uh, uh, President called to congratulate President Zelensky on his election and then on his success in the parliamentary election. They were very warm and cordial calls. Uh, we'll All right, number that- one. Warm and cordial calls. No pressure campaign. No threats. No innuendos. Nothing. Go ahead. Uh, they'll be able to meet in Warsaw and have a few minutes together. Number two, they'll be able to meet in Warsaw. Another Democrat live that said the president didn't meet with the Ukrainian president because he didn't get what he wanted, an announcement of an investigation of the Bidens. But he was going to meet in Warsaw. And what happened? A hurricane happened. What hurricane? The one that devoured Puerto Rico, that hurricane. So he stayed home to do what presidents do. So that's number two. Go ahead. Uh, Because the success of Ukraine, uh, maintaining its freedom, uh, its system of representative government, uh, a free market economy free of corruption, uh, and dealing with the problems of the Donbass and the Crimea are... Uh, High priorities here, obviously. High priorities here, obviously, and it was cut off a little early. And high priorities in the United States. What? Corruption. It was warm and cordial. A meeting was to take place in Poland with no strings attached. And the president was concerned. A high priority about corruption in the Ukraine. That's a trifecta. In a two-minute interview, how long was that, Rich? A two-minute clip? One-minute clip. One-minute clip. One-minute clip. Now, I know over there at the New York Times, they've been digging very, very hard for more anonymous sources. 
I cannot believe the New York Times didn't have this. I cannot believe the Washington Post didn't have this. I cannot believe the House managers didn't have this. I cannot believe CNN and MSNBC and all the rest of them didn't have this. Or maybe they weren't looking. Or maybe they covered it up over there at the New York Times like they covered up the Holocaust. I got more. I'll be right back. Lovin. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Every significant constitutional argument you've been hearing has been discussed with you on this radio program over the course of many weeks and months. Everyone. And Alan Dershowitz has gotten them all right. You want to know why? You want to know why, Mr. Producer? Because he and I are reading the same things. We're going back to the original texts. We need to hear from Lawrence Tribe, that damn fool. We want to hear from the framers. We want to hear from the scholars at the time. The essayists at the time. What did they mean? We're really trying to discern. What did they mean? I keep hearing it said that the, and some are my good friends, that the president's lawyer should never have argued the facts. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a federal courtroom. The Democrats are raising facts. The Democrats are fabricating facts. The Democrats are spinning facts. You have to address it. You can't pretend it's not happening. And the facts are on the president's side. You just heard them on the video. The audio of the video of John Bolton. And there's more facts on the president's side. I'll be right back. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes... Learning, character, faith, and freedom have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, 
through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Mark doesn't suffer fools well. So, if you're a fool, don't call 877-381-3811. Mr. Producer, will you check the Drudge Report and see if this video is up there? I'm just curious. I'll tell you where it's not, for sure. I just checked. Mediate.com, this site that was started by Dan Abrams, a uh, legal analyst at ABC News. Endlessly trashing Dershowitz. Endlessly trashing Hannity. Endlessly trashing uh, the Secretary of State. Endlessly trashing, trashing... But I'm looking on here, Mr. Producer. I'm looking on Mediate. It's not there. It's a media site. How about Media Matters for America? Do they have this video? No, they don't have it either. And guess what? Mr. Producer tells me just now it's not on the Drudge Report. Now, why is that? You checked it carefully, Mr. Producer? It's not highlighted in red, no siren, nothing like that? Not up in the left corner, not in the bold black, nothing? Not even at the bottom near the, you know, near the other items on there? Like showbiz apes find peace through painting in Florida retirement? This doesn't, this doesn't reach that level? How about George Conway and Ann Coulter? They blogged about it, Mr. Producer? Ah, uh, yes. Of course not, because they're intellectually full of crap. This is a big deal. If they had John Bolton on a video saying the opposite, it'd be all over the place. The fact is, this undermines the narrative. Not that we needed it, but it undermines the narrative. Simply no question about it. Let's do it one more time. And if we need to, we'll do it again. Because if I didn't push it out there, it wouldn't be out there. If I didn't put it on my social media, you'd never hear about it. Ever. You won't see it on CNN and you won't see it on MSNBC. And if you do, they'll figure out some way to spin it and trash it. Same with the New York Times. Again, I, I ask you, the New York Times had this big story from anonymous leaks, without quotes, about a manuscript. Leak out of the NSC. You remember this was Sunday night, and virtually everyone you were listening to or reading was telling you this is a huge problem. In fact, it might all be over now. And I started hammering away. Because I wasn't even close to being accurate. Again, my tweets and my Facebook posts found their way on other broadcast programs, and that's okay. You say, Mark, why do you keep saying that? I keep telling you that because I want you to make sure you listen to this program. We're not in the echo chamber. We create the echo chamber. It's just the knowledge I have. It's the research I do. That's who I am. That's the way it works. And it's like this Bolton thing. 
this Bolton thing. Where he absolutely destroys the narrative. The narrative that started this whole thing. It's not that it was needed, but they keep saying Bolton, 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 Bolton. Okay, Bolton. And here we have him. I think it was August 27th, Mr. Producer. 2019, just a few weeks before he was removed or removed himself from the White House. He didn't hold a press conference, did he, Rich? And say, you know what? What the president did with Ukraine was outrageous. Quid pro quo. He couldn't because there wasn't one. He didn't hold a press conference on his way out the door and say, hey, I can't work here the way the president has treated Ukraine. He didn't say that, and it would make no sense based on what he says in this interview. He didn't say, I got to get out of here. All this pressure, a campaign of pressure to get the Bidens because inter- he wants to interfere with the election. He never said that. Instead, on August 17th, 2019, he said this, cut to follow up to my visit last year on Independence Day, where I was uh, really honored to have a chance to participate in that, uh, and now with the new government in Ukraine to see what might be possible going forward on a whole variety of fronts. Do you plan to visit, to meet President Zelensky, and what messages uh, did you bring to him? Well, I, I will be meeting President Zelensky. Uh, he and President Trump have already spoken twice uh, The president called to congratulate President Zelensky on his election and then on his success in the parliamentary election. They were very warm and cordial calls. Uh, We're hoping that uh, they'll be able to meet in Warsaw and have a few minutes together uh, because the success of Ukraine, uh, maintaining its freedom, uh, its system of representative government, uh, a free market economy free of corruption, uh, and dealing with the problems of the Donbass and the Crimea are... Uh, High priorities here, obviously, but high priorities for the United States as well. Hmm. Sounds like a warm and cozy discussion. I mean, not just warm and cordial. Does John Bolton sound upset there? No. He was willing to sit for an interview? These are his comments. Nobody pressured him to make these comments. Now, it's hard to sell a book when you're saying comments like this, too. I hate to say these things. Warm and cordial. Was going to meet in Poland. And corruption was a high priority. There it is. It's on Fox right now, Mr. Producer. Thank me, everybody. No offense. Just saying it. Now, another thing I've been mentioning is that one of the reasons they impeached the president, and I mentioned this on December 17th, because they want to They want to cripple him, at least politically and otherwise, should there be a vacancy on the Supreme Court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and so forth. I'm not praying for it, I'm just saying. And so, this is being repeated now, and it's true. But again, that's why I want you to come here. Because ultimately, again, this is my wheelhouse. I don't look. I, I, I don't know about uh, you know all the weird cultural stuff and all the rest of it, but I know about this. Cut one, go. 
A neighbor of mine came up to me this evening, about an hour before the show, and said something that I thought was quite profound. Many of you might say, well, I already thought that, but I had not. He said to me, I'm convinced one of the reasons they're impeaching the president is the Supreme Court. I said, really, what do you mean by that? Well, the president has less than 11 months to go. Ruth Bader Ginsburg appears to be very ill. He's not wishing anything terrible. He's just saying what he, what he sees. And there's no question she is and has been. And should she have to leave the bench by hook or by crook, they want to be able to say, not only will we not allow this president to replace her, or for that matter, any Supreme Court justice in the remaining whatever number of months of his presidency, but we will never al allow an impeached president to appoint anybody else to the Supreme Court, whether he wins re-election or not. You see what he's saying, Mr. Producer? Isn't that interesting? And I'll bet he's right. I'll bet that's part of the calculation. That they want to claim that they have crippled this lawless president, that the Republicans wouldn't remove him from office, and there is no way that the Democrats will ever agree to him making another Supreme Court appointment, either in the next 11 months, or as I say, should he get reelected, and then the four years subsequent to his first term. And as I thought about that, I said, you're absolutely right. That's clearly one of the reasons they're trying to do this. So that's December 17th of last year, well before Christmas. And I've repeated it several times because it's 100% accurate. And it will happen should there be a vacancy during this term or if the president wins, God willing, during his second term. That's what they're going to do. And so you're hearing this repeated now, too. But it's very important that you know this so that we can be prepared to fight back. This program is not just about me talking. This is about informing. This is about educating. This is about history. And this is about activism. Activism. We not only report on events, we try to get involved in them. And we not only get involved in them, we try to influence them for the better. For the better. <clears throat> We've done here behind the microphone and talk radio really what's never been done before. Yes, entertainment, of course. But entertainment doesn't mean you have to be a dancing clown. Entertainment, that is, maybe you have an entertaining professor, an entertaining spouse. Whatever it is, it doesn't, doesn't matter. As long as it's still substantive and smart. Or you hope it is. And that involves doing independent research. And it also involves being yourself. And it also involves taking this job seriously. Because a handful of us are blessed to have it. And just like you, when I see the injustice of what's taking place here, or other injustices, or I think there's something that's positive that we need to get behind, I think about it when I'm not on the radio. I think about it late at night. I think about it on the weekends when I wake up in the morning. Just like you. But I think the differences between this show and many others, 
Not to put anyone down, I'm not. I said the difference between this show and many others is that I just don't want to whine about it. I want us to talk it through, figure out if there's anything we can do, and so forth and so on. So when I receive a video of John Bolton saying these things over the transom early in the morning, I have to do something with it, quickly. Quickly. To have a positive effect on history. On freedom. On this republic. I'll be right back. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. If I'm a senator, here's my question. And it would be to Adam Schiff. How many hearings did you hold in the House Intelligence Committee on the Obama administration's failure to do anything effective on Russia's interference in the 2016 election? Since you claim, you claim that you're concerned about foreign governments interfering in our election. How many hearings did you hold? the House Intelligence Committee, in the last year on this issue? None. Not one. He doesn't care. Zero. What about Valerie Jarrett? Was she called? No. What about any of the inner circle, the chief of staff to the president, Then Obama, no. National Security Advisor to the President, Susan Rice, no. The Secretary of State back then, Hillary Clinton, no. The OMB Director, no, 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 nobody. When Devin Nunes was chairman, he was looking into this. Schiff had a different view. His view was to smear Nunes as much as possible and obstruct his investigation. They don't care about foreign interference in our election. Hell. In Bill Clinton's re-election campaign, millions of dollars were poured into his campaign, the DNC, and other Democrat candidates, and as well as his legal defense fund by the Chinese Red Army. There were no independent counsel or special counsel investigations of that. So we don't need lectures from these guys about interference in our election. 
Plus, that's not what the president asked the Ukrainians to do. The Bidens are corrupt. You can't read Peter Schweizer's book and not come to that conclusion. You can't listen to Pam Bondi and Eric Hirschman the other day on the floor of the Senate and not come to that conclusion. They are corrupt. And if the shoe were on the other foot, if this was the Trump family, there would be 15 special counsel and it would never come to an end. So they have to concoct and manufacture allegations against this president. They like to talk about a threat to democracy. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest threat to democracy right now are the Democrats running for president, and one in particular, Bernie Sanders. The Code Pink Republicans often come to his defense. Oh, isn't it sad how the Democrat Party's treating Bernie? Bernie's not even a Democrat. Isn't it sad how they're trying to stop him? Oh, poor Bernie. Poor Bernie. Now, the president does it tongue-in-cheek because he wants to run against Bernie Sanders. I think the president would win in a landslide, but I don't know. The demographics in this country, when it comes to the left, the left mentality and the welfare state, are really out of kilter. But a Bernie Sanders nomination, and God forbid election, will be a grave danger to this republic, our constitution, our freedom and our way of life. And because we have 24-7 coverage of the Senate trial, and before that the Senate impeachment, and before that, Russia collusion, and before that, campaign finance alleged violations, and before that, something else, and after tomorrow, something else. The kind of appropriate focus that's needed on these Democrat candidates, particularly Bernie Sanders, is not taking place. All they do is talk about the polls. My God, he's way ahead in New Hampshire. In fact, he might be ahead in Iowa. He's ahead in California. This is all we hear. This isn't a baseball game. This is about liberty. And Bernie Sanders is an old red Marxist. And there's plenty of writings, plenty of audio, plenty that proves the point. Plenty of things he said then and he says now. But instead, the entire focus is on the effort. Oh, should we have witnesses? Should we have witnesses? Ah, go to hell. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. We've done well today, ladies and gentlemen. We're on offense. Smile. And don't let stories like this get you down. Here's here's another joke at Mediate, a left-wing phony news site founded by legal analyst Stan Abrams. Here's the headline by Joe DiPaolo. You know Joe DiPaolo, don't you? He's one of the basement dwellers over at Mediate. In my mind's eye, Mr. Booth, I see a big basement 
with a lot of, you know, older guys with five-day five day shadows on their face. They don't shower. They're eating cheese doodles in various sorts of boxer shorts and tank tops. Shooting rubber bands at each other. You see what I mean, Mr. Producer? The stench is horrific. It's like a gym that never gets cleaned. And I think this is the work environment over there at Mediate. Don't get me started with Media Matters. You really can't tell the two apart. Democrat congressman, they write, reveals Bolton dropped a dime on Trump months ago. He told me to look into Yovanovitch and her ouster. Wow, let's read this latest hysterical, fire-breathing report from our media. A Democratic congressman has come forward to say that former National Security Advisor John Bolton alerted him months ago to the potential of improper conduct by President Donald Trump on the Ukraine matter. Now let's stop there. If a congressman, in this case, I think he's the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. Will you check that for me, Rich? Elliot Engel. Elliot! Elliot! Come home! Your potato locusts are getting cold! Elliot! What is it, Ma? Come home! So here you have this this first sentence. You have a powerful committee chairman, Elliot Engel. Double E. You have double E here. He's alerted that something's not kosher, he says, by John Bolton. With the removal of the magnificent heroine. My God, how did our country survive without former Ukrainian ambassador Marie Yovanovitch? Who? Marie Yovanovitch, you idiot. Oh! And what did Elliot do? Did he call a hearing? No. Did he tell his friend Adam Schiff during the impeachment inquiry? Apparently not. Did he tell his friend Jerry Nadler, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee during his... I don't believe so. What's he waiting for? He says Bolton told him on September 23rd. My God, look at this, ladies and gentlemen. The latest bombshell. Elliot Engel. Now, what happened? And a statement released Wednesday afternoon. Isn't that today, Mr. Producer? Where's this guy, Elliot Engel, been? Elliot Engel contradicted the president's argument that Bolton's comments on Ukraine should be taken with a grain of salt because he didn't speak up at the time. Engel said that he spoke privately with Bolton on September 23rd. You know what, Mr. Engel? You're now a material fact witness. You should be forced to give testimony on the penalty of perjury and thoroughly cross-examined. And one of the questions I would ask you is, why did you sit on this information? If it's so crucial, if it in fact... Is part of the case for an impeachment. Why did you withhold this information from your colleagues, from the American people? You rat fink. Let me go on. Engel said he spoke privately with Bolton on September 23, right after Bolton left his post at the NSA, at the NSC rather. Congressman said Bolton recommended that the House Foreign Affairs Committee, in which Engel sits, 
should look into the ouster of former Ukraine Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. Quote, Ambassador Bolton suggested to me, unprompted, that the committee look into the recall of Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. He strongly implied that something improper had happened. And what did you do, knucklehead? I, I, I didn't do anything. Nancy, Nancy wouldn't let me do, do anything. Uh, Adam was in charge. Adam. And Jerry. Joey. Joey spelled J-E-R-R-R-R-R-R-Y. Jerry. The congressman added, Ambassador Bolton has made clear over the last few months that he has more to say on this issue. And now that the president has called his credibility into question, it's important to set the record straight. I, 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 I am shocked at this. The Democrats control the House. He's the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, as I recall. He could have held hearings. He didn't hold any hearings. He didn't hold any hearings. But why is John Bolton calling this guy? Boy, oh boy. But how do we know Elliot's telling the truth? How do we know Double E's telling the truth, Mr. Producer? We don't know that Double E's telling the truth. We don't know. Maybe Double E needs to be giving testimony under oath and cross-examined. Now that he's presented himself as a material fact witness. What did Double E, Elliot Engel, say? Quote, President Trump is wrong. And by the way, the media is running with this. And the same media that's pushing this narrative is all but ignoring the John Bolton video today. Because we have like a Stalinist media in this country. It's a propaganda field led by commissars like, what's that idiot, Chuck Todd, George Stephanopoulos. How many ends in Stephanopoulos? I don't know. Who cares? Who's the guy at Meet the Depressed? I, don't, I mean, the uh, guy at uh, Deface the Nation. I don't even know who it is. Is it a guy? I don't know. It's a woman. Well, we're not allowed to make decisions on genitalia anymore. Margaret Brennan. Anyway, on September 19th, shortly after Ambassador Bolton's departure as National Security Advisor, my staff reached out to him at my request. I've known Ambassador Bolton for years. We have a cordial and respectful relationship. This is hilarious. The Libs hate Bolton. They've hated him for 30 years. They blocked him from becoming the actual ambassador to the UN from the US. He was the acting ambassador. Hated him. Now it's Ambassador Bolton. And we had a cordial relationship. And he's a man of incredible character and trust. It's like John Kelly and Bolton. They hated each other's guts. John Kelly. Shocking that a retired general now comes out and says, I believe Bolton. Who cares what you believe? What does that have to do with anything? And now we have Elliot, double E, Elliot Engel. Way back in September, he told me. September, let's see, October, November, December, January. He waited four months, Mr. Producer. Four months, the president only waited 55 days to check to see if the Ukraine was in a reformist path. And Here's Elliot. Elliot! Elliot sitting on this for 120 days! He and I spoke by telephone on September 23. 
On that call, Ambassador Bolton suggested to me unprompted that the committee look into the recall of Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. He strongly implied that something improper had occurred around her removal. At the time, I said nothing publicly about what was a private conversation. But because this detail was relevant to the Foreign Affairs, Intelligence, and Oversight Committee's investigation into this matter, I informed my investigative colleagues. Wow! Then what? It was one of the reasons we wished to hear from Ambassador Bolton under oath. And You're such a liar. You're a sniveling nothing, you double D. Double E, rather, not the... <laughs> Elliot Angle. Well, now we must hear from Bolton, ladies and gentlemen, because Elliot Engel has come forward. Elliot Engel's come forward in public, public for the first time, folks. About this incredible conversation. What is this clown show in Washington, D.C.? This pathetic, sickening clown show. These Democrats dragging us into their hell. Dragging us into their insanity, into their narcissism. In their psycho world. Dragging the whole country into this. This is what it's going to look like if they're in charge. Can you imagine a President Bernie Sanders? Hey, what is it? What is it? Health care is a right. Everybody, health care is a right. Free college. Free this. Free cheeseburgers. Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger for everybody. Oh, yeah. Open borders. Stop the cops. Stop the military. Oh, yes. Bernie Sanders, President of the United States. Can you imagine? No, I can't imagine. But anything's possible now, I'm afraid. All right, I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You know, let me try to put this another way. The Democrats should be forced to have their own clown show on their own dime and on their own time. Rather than dragging the entire country into this, dragging the Congress into this. If the media and the Democrats want to be a bunch of jackasses, that's fine. But not on our dime and not at our time. They can have their own little conventions. They can impeach each other, Mr. Can you see that? Impeach each other. No, you abuse power. No, no, you abuse. No, I didn't abuse. No, yes, you did. Well, you obstructed me. No, he obstructed me. No, no, he obstructed me. And don't call me he. We don't use things words like he. It's it and they 
and we. Wow. Well, it, you. Don't call me you. Well, what should I call you? Can you imagine those meetings, Mr. Producer? Can imagine those meetings. So if they want to have their little insane debates and insane votes and insane accusations, that's fine. Abuse of power, doesn't that define the left? The way they want to eviscerate our constitutional order? Abuse of power, it's right there in Webster's. Progressives, Democrats, right there, abuse of power. Oh, an obstruction of Congress, that's pretty funny. Obstruction of Congress. Yes, yes, yes. We demand that you give us everything and everyone we say. Well, you know, there is separation of power. Ah! That's one count on impeachment. What are you talking about? Alan Dershowitz was terrific today. As was this guy Philbin, Mr. Producer. He's been terrific. Terrific. And, of course, they're trashing Dershowitz. Which is why I'm defending him. Dershowitz today. Cut three. Go. As a matter of law, does it matter if there was a quid pro quo? Is it true that quid pro quos are often used in foreign policy? Yesterday, I had the privilege of attending the rolling out of a peace plan by the president of the United States regarding uh, the Israel-Palestine conflict. And I offered you a hypothetical the other day. What if a Democratic president were to be elected and Congress were to authorize much money to either Israel or the Palestinians, and the Democratic president were to say to Israel, no, I'm going to withhold this money unless you stop all settlement growth. And by the way, that's happened. Obama did that. Obama and Kerry did that. Go ahead. Palestinians, I will withhold the money Congress authorized to you unless you stop paying terrorists. And the president said, quid pro quo. If you don't do it, you don't get the money. If you do it, you get the money. There's no one in this chamber that would regard that as in any way unlawful. Right. And the president didn't do any of that when it comes to Ukraine. But his point is, I'll take your hypothetical and I'll show you why it's wrong. Cut four, go. Every public official that I know believes that his election is in the public interest. And mostly you're right. Your election is in the public interest. And if a president does something which he believes will help him get elected in the public interest, that cannot be the kind of quid pro quo that results in impeachment. I quoted President Lincoln when President Lincoln told General Sherman to let the troops go to Indiana so that they can vote for the Republican Party. Let's assume the president was running at that point. And it was in his electoral interest to have these soldiers put at risk the lives of many, many other soldiers who would be left without their company. Would that be an unlawful quid pro quo? No, because the president, A, believed it was in the national interest, but B, he believed that his own election was essential to victory in the Civil War. Every president believes that. That's why it's so dangerous to try to psychoanalyze a president, to try to get into the intricacies of the human mind. 
Everybody has mixed motives. And for there to be a constitutional impeachment based on mixed motives would permit almost any president to be impeached. And we may dip into more of this. We have uh, additional wonderful clips from today. Most of us working can't watch this all day. But we're going to move briefly, or maybe not so briefly, into this peace deal that the president has put forward with Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel. It is a fantastic and brilliant peace deal. Although the Washington Compost and CNN and others have opposed this, there's numerous Arab states that have welcomed this. Numerous Arab states that support this. But you wouldn't know that. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Egypt. Qatar, now called Gutter. Morocco. Bahrain. And there are others, I just can't remember them. Who support this effort, who are behind this effort. I mean, it's really quite shocking. It's really quite remarkable. And the ambassadors to the UAE, Bahrain, and Oman, three Arab Muslim countries in the Middle East, attended, attended the ceremony yesterday. I was there. Attended the ceremony with the president and the prime minister of Israel. Have you heard this Anywhere today? So while the left in America, the Washington Compost editorial page, the clowns at the Constipated News Network and others reject this. The left in America, Bernie Sanders, you have Arab states that are supporting it. Imagine that. One of the great ambassadors ever. America's ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, is next. We'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Making sure the land of the free and the home of the brave stays that way. Dial Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. Well, it's a great pleasure and honor to have America's ambassador to Israel, David Freeman, with us. How are you, sir? Mark, how are you? Good to uh, see you again. I, I'm Good doing... You again. And you, and I uh, saw you yesterday at the, uh, at the ceremony, and it was quite a ceremony. We even had three ambassadors from Arab countries there, didn't we, Mr. Ambassador? Yeah, isn't that something? We had uh, the Emirates, we had Oman, we had Bahrain, and, and if, if you look at the statements that came out after the uh, ceremony, we had countries like uh, Saudi Arabia, um, Morocco, 
uh, Egypt. Uh, I mean, countries that have historically been lockstep with the Palestinians have come out and said that they support the uh, this plan as a basis for negotiations, and they encourage the Palestinians to engage with Israel on the basis of this plan. This is the first time in 100 years that these Gulf nations, and, and Egypt as well, and Morocco as well, are, are saying something uh, different uh, than the Palestinians. And it's, uh, I hope people appreciate what a major breakthrough that is. Well, if they're watching uh, most of the news, they don't. But uh, that's why I wanted to have you on, because unlike these Arab countries, you know, we see a Washington Post editorial that gets it dead wrong. We see a group at CNN who obviously didn't read this plan. They really don't know what's in it. So I want to ask you, give us a few of the main elements that are in this plan, if you would. Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. And, and just before I start, I mean, it's, it's kind of incredible that, um, that the left-wing media and, and many Democrats are, uh, are, are, are more hostile to the plan than most of the Arab nations in the region. Yeah, it's um, amazing. It's, it's, it's quite stunning. And, and, and there's only one reason for it. It's because Trump thought of it. If, he, if someone else had thought of it, if Obama had thought of it, of course, there would have been a different reaction. So because it's really a good plan. So let me, uh, if I can, turn to it. Um, What's important about this plan, first of all, it's the first time in 52 years that Israel has put on the table the terms, the conditions, and the territorial dimensions of a Palestinian state that it's willing to live with side by side. You go back through Oslo, Y River, Camp David, you will not find any indication of what people are actually getting, what people are giving and what people are getting. So this is, uh, this is extraordinary in that response. It's a hard offer to the Palestinians, but it comes with conditions. And these conditions are important. The Palestinians have to have to renounce terror. They have to stop paying terrorists. Hamas has to disarm. Islamic Jihad has to disarm. A, uh, a, a stable government has to be created with the rule of law, with freedom of religion, with human rights, with freedom of the press. Um, the, United, the United States has no interest in putting its fingerprint on a, uh, on a failed state or an autocratic state or on a corrupt state or on a terrorist state. So we've established the, uh, the benchmarks. And frankly, you know, that's in and of itself important, because in the past, almost all these plans just uh, gave the Palestinians a pass and never held them accountable for the very real dangers that a Palestinian state would create. Beyond that, the, um, the structure uh, provides for Israeli military security, uh, military control from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and our perspective on this is simple. Uh, security is not a political issue. Security is not a, a game uh, security is uh, more important in the Middle East than any place else. And the last place, uh, the last thing that the uh, that uh, you need between Israel and Jordan is a failed terrorist state. And of course, if a Palestinian state failed, it'll be taken over by Hezbollah, ISIS, Al Qaeda. Uh, you know, flavor of the month. So um, it's critically important that Israeli security uh, be retained. Uh, there's there's the opportunity for the Palestinian interior. Security forces to do as much as they can, and the more they do, the less Israel will have to do. But uh, Israel retains um, security control. Now, on, on the Israeli side, uh, this map um, allocates territory uh, within uh, Judea and Samaria. And what it does is it allocates roughly 30% of the territory uh, to Israel and about 70% of the territory to the Palestinians. And it provides the Palestinians also with an additional 10-15%, uh, which is attached uh, uh, along the Egyptian border to the Gaza Strip, which uh, expands Gaza as well. Um, in exchange for um, Israel um, uh, agreeing to keep that territory open for the Palestinians, because we know they're going to say no up front, in exchange for that, um, uh, the United States has agreed that 
when Israel uh, goes through the process of presenting uh, initially internally and then to us a, a plan for uh, application of Israeli law to the 30% of Judea and Samaria that will be Israel. And those include places like Hebron and Bethel and Shiloh and, and essentially the, the biblical heartland of the Jewish people. Once Israel goes through that process, which we hope will be very quickly and very soon, uh, and the United States has the opportunity to verify that, which again, we hope to engage uh, that process so quickly, the United States will recognize Israeli sovereignty uh, over that territory. So what it does for Israel is, uh, for the first time in 52 years, it ends the cloud over the uh, sovereignty with regard to these settlements. Um, and for the Palestinians, it creates essentially double the footprint that they have now, assuming that they can meet the conditions for statehood, which they still have a fairly long way to go. That, that's the heart of it. Um, Jerusalem, uh, we look at Jerusalem and say, you know, Jerusalem's been a, been a place of conflict for 3,000 years. The only uh, time that Jerusalem's been a peaceful, safe, open city um, where uh, people of all faiths can worship freely has been under Israeli control and Israeli rule. So the last thing we're going to do is tinker with that. So uh, we would recognize uh, Israeli sovereignty over the undivided city of Jerusalem. There is a, um, there is a strip of uh, Jerusalem that, it, that goes beyond the security barrier, which we think uh, uh, would be, could be made available for a Palestinian capital, and we're, we're happy to recognize that in the event that the Palestinians otherwise um, make a deal. But um, the real question is, I think, I mean, this is a great deal for the Palestinians. It's a great deal for Israel. What about, what about economic aid? Well, the economic aid is, is massive for the Palestinians, and it, for the first time, it doesn't come in the form of handouts or charity. It actually consists of uh, loans, grants, and investments that will uh, lead to the point where the Palestinians can actually have a thriving economy. Uh, but there's a problem with that, right? The problem is that if people are going to invest, you know, billions of dollars, there needs to be a rule of law. There needs to be uh, financial transparency. Um, the Palestinian state has to become a real country, you know, subject to... Uh, well, we would expect anywhere else. No one's going to put a dollar into the state of Palestine if the state of Palestine doesn't have uh, financial controls in place that, uh, that, that are credible and doesn't have a, uh, a rule of law where people's contractual rights can be enforced. So the money's massive. The, the entire program is, is a massive opportunity for the Palestinians, but they don't get it for free. They have to radically modify their behavior in order to join the community of nations. And what, what Israel is doing right now, because obviously they're saying no. I mean, the, uh, I saw an interesting uh, tweet uh, the, uh, about half an hour ago listing, you know, who's against this deal? Uh, Turkey, Iran, and the Palestinians. Who's in favor of this deal? 20 countries, the EU, the, uh, the Brits, uh, almost all the Arab countries, except for Jordan, is, uh, is, 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 has been a bit critical, but all the other Arab countries, Brazil, I mean, you name it, there's, there's major countries around the world that are supporting this deal. And who's on the wrong side of it? Iran, Turkey, and the Palestinians. That tells you a lot about, uh, you know, how we threaded the needle. Um, so, hold on now, hold on now. Iran, Turkey, and the Palestinians. The Palestinians and the Washington Post. Yeah, and, and Hamas. Don't forget Hamas, too. Hamas, too, right. Yeah, yeah, right. And Hezbollah. I'm sorry, I forgot Hezbollah. Yes. So, but let, yeah. let me just say this to you. This is, this is a remarkable achievement. You know, uh, you're basically asking the, the Palestinians to treat others like human beings, to treat their own people like human beings, to uh, get rid of their little dictatorship and their mobocracy, 
uh, to become a at least a quasi-civil society. It's rather low standard. Right. There's a lot of other people who have done this. A lot of other countries have uh, met that standard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and if they do... Uh, and that, then they will then they will prosper. Then they will be a free people, and so forth. In many in many respects, you know, Netanyahu likes to say, you know, if they put down their arms, we'll have peace. If we put down our arms, we'll be we'll be slaughtered. And you're telling me these security measures are in place for the state of Israel. Israel is not being required to put down its arms. Uh, nor nor by the way, nor is that good for the Palestinian people either, because um, uh, they are as much at risk from radical uh, Islamic terrorism uh, as anybody else. So from their perspective, Israel will secure the territory. Uh, they won't charge the Palestinians anything for it. I mean, they get free security from one of the most um, effective defense forces in the world. And, um, and then they're, they're free to focus on uh, growing an economy, improving education, training, um, infrastructure. I mean, it's, it's really uh, an extraordinary opportunity. And well, we're not surprised by the uh, Palestinian reaction, which has been massively negative. I mean, you may have seen it. I mean, really, oh, yeah. I mean, insulting, insulting to the president who, you know, didn't need to spend a lot of time on this. I mean, he's got many, many other things to do and many other accomplishments. But uh, insulting the president. And uh, but here's 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 our strategy. So you understand, we're not just, you know, doing this to show how smart we are. Um, this four year, uh, this four year um, status quo preservation by Israel for the territory in Judea and Samaria that's allocated for a Palestinian state, that gives us the opportunity to put out this plan and, and, and share it with the Palestinian people. Um, when we put out, when we had our uh, Bahrain uh, economic conference, we put out the plan on the U.S. website. We got over a million hits within the uh, Palestinian territories. We think this will get more. Um, we have to make our case directly to the people. Uh, they've been horribly Disturbed both by uh, obviously in the Gaza Strip by a terrorist regime, and by the Palestinian Authority, where Abbas is in the fifteenth year of his four-year term, and it's shown no signs, <laughs> no signs of uh, of modulating. So um, we're going to we're going to go forward and, and, and hope that we can appeal to the better angels of uh, of human nature. And uh, and if not, and if not, I think we have at least created the right template, uh, meaning that you know if this doesn't go anywhere, but if people want to pick up in the future and see. How do we restart this? This is a real template that actually works, and it's um, it has value even even in an academic sense. It has value because at least um, we've recognized sort of the, the, the bare minimum that's necessary uh, for Israel and the Palestinians to live side by side in peace. And folks, if you want to read the details of the plan, I've linked to it on Mark Levin Show Facebook and Mark Levin Show Twitter. If you'd like to check it out, it's also on the White House website, and it's really worth taking a look at. Mr. Ambassador, you and the team with, uh, with Ambassador Dermer, the President, the Prime Minister, Kushner and the team, uh, you've all done a great job. I want to thank you. Thank you, Mark. Uh, that means a lot coming from you. I know how, uh, how fluent you are on these issues, so I, I appreciate it very much. Well, God bless. Be well. You, you too. Thank you. All right. Take care. That was pretty clear, wasn't it, Mr. Producer? He's good. Let me tell you something about him. He was a top lawyer. A top, top, top lawyer. And he gave all that up to be the ambassador to Israel. Because he loves both countries. And you can tell. You can tell it is. So he comes under attack, of course. Kushner has come under brutal attack. President Netanyahu. I watched the CNN report on this yesterday, Mr. Producer. 
You know what you got out of that? Three times that Benjamin Netanyahu's been indicted. And uh, it's a deal that's for Israel and not the Palestinians. Did you hear him say they get 70% of Judea and Samaria? Did you hear? For you left this out there, you would call that the West Bank. 70%. Most of it's unoccupied. That is by people. But in return, Israel gets 30% with, with these so-called settlements, a word I don't like, exist and can expand. And now they can actually have hard borders that are not in dispute anymore to defend them militarily against perhaps the Iranians or Hezbollah or, or whomever. And these are people who want to get on with their lives. The problem here is for Abbas and Hamas, liberty is their enemy. This deals about liberty, opportunity, prosperity, civil society. They're against all that. The heads of Hamas and the heads of Fatah, that is the Abbas clan, they live in wealth, in luxury, subsidized by the rest of the world. It's not their kids and grandkids who are wrapping uh, bombs around themselves. They're not the ones who who rush the Israelis and rush the fences. They don't have any say whatsoever. The Palestinian Authority and Hamas do not want to resolve the so-called refugee issue. Many of these so-called refugees are kept impoverished in order to try and use them with the New York Times, with CNN, with the UN, with the EU and other entities to try and force Israel to surrender its security. And it says something that Talib and Omar have already come out and trashed it when you know they haven't read it. Doesn't matter. And the report last night, top of the hour, the network, there's no right to return discussed. Right to return? The Jews have been there 3,000 years. Who wants to return? The Babylonians? They don't even exist, Mr. Producer. The Assyrians? They don't exist anymore. Who's to return to what? Oh, the Palestinians. At best, in some areas, they've been there 150 years. Anyway, that was an excellent uh, uh, explanation from the ambassador. We'll be right back. in. Where's the Anti-Defamation League? Where's APAC? They got behind this? Where are all the liberal Jewish organizations? Not talking about the conservative ones. I don't hear you. Hello? Where's J Street? Somewhere in hell, no question about it. You just got the best explanation of what the president is doing anywhere in media. If you're watching MSNBC and CNN, you have no idea what this deal is about. If you're reading the New York Times or the Washington Post, you have no idea what's going on. None. You just heard from the ambassador to Israel, from the United States, who's intimately involved in this, who explained it. And as you can hear, it sounds like a magnificent plan. And then you hear the left in our country. It doesn't do enough for the Palestinians. Hey, Palestinians, just stop murdering people. Stop promoting terrorism. 
Stop giving pensions to killers. Just recognize the state of Israel's right to exist and a few other things. And look at all you'll get. Well, we can't do that. Allow your people to vote. Allow them to read and write freely, free speech. Allow them basic human rights. Eh, can't do that. That's very high bar. Can't do that. And then meanwhile, you have six or seven Arab Muslim countries, including big ones or powerful ones like Egypt and Morocco and Saudi Arabia who back this and European countries and other countries. But not our Democrats, boy. No way. A lot of great conservative organizations out there doing some incredible work. But I want to make a, take a minute and talk to you about the MRC, or as I like to call them, America's media watchdog. When you think of the MRC, you should think of one thing, truth. For over 30 years, the Media Research Center has had one mission, to provide reliable, fact-driven information about the media. Because the American people deserve the truth. Unfortunately, we don't get the truth from the media today. Just look at their shameful coverage of this impeachment trial. And the cheerleaders in the media who will do anything to take down this president. If you think about it, they're the ones who started pushing for impeachment the moment the president was sworn in. And that's why the work of the MRC is so important. They're the tip of the spear in the fight for truth and journalism. And they provide ammunition for all of us who are fighting this battle. Learn more about the MRC. They have a special web address, mrclevin.org, mrclevin.org. If you care about this country, and you do, if you care about the truth, and you do, please get to know the MRC. Again, mrclevin.org. That's mrclevin.org. I've only just begun. I'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I think the... Uh, Ambassador's comments were so important and so cogent and so needed, given the lousy media coverage out there. Mr. Producer is going to get the audio ready, and we will link to it on my social sites. Okay, Rich? And you'll also send them to me so we can get them out there, because I think it's important. Now, there was a time when Adam Schiff was not a fan of John Bolton. There was a time when Adam Schiff would never want John Bolton as a witness. And he's going to say some things about John Bolton that I think are pretty nasty. Pretty lousy. So I don't want you to think just because I'm playing this that I agree with Adam Schiff. I almost never agree with Adam Schiff. But Adam Schiff doesn't agree with Adam Schiff. That's the point. Here's what Adam Schiff said about John Bolton in March of 2018. That's not that long ago, Mr. Producer. March of 2018. Cut 18, go. Well, I think Bolton is not only a bad choice, uh, it's honestly difficult to consider a worse choice 
This is someone who is likely to exaggerate uh, the dangerous impulses of the president towards belligerence, uh, his uh, proclivity to act without thinking, uh, and uh, his, uh, his love of conspiracy theories. Theory, uh, theories. Um, and I'll you know, just add one data point to what you were talking about earlier. John Bolton once suggested on Fox News that the Russian hack of the DNC uh, was a false flag operation that had been conducted by the Obama administration. Uh, so you add that kind of thinking to Joe. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. In some ways, it was, it turns out. You know, the FBI spies and everything. By the way, this shift is a total sleazeball. But go ahead. Uh, and you have another big dose of unreality in the White House. So he didn't support him for the uh, National Security Advisor post, and he smeared him. And that's not the first time. Back in 2005, Adam Schiff said this, cut 17, go. The president, uh, and that is nuclear terrorism. Uh, Mr. Bolton has been AWOL. He's more focused on the next job than doing well at the last job. And particularly given the history uh, where we've had the politicization of intelligence over WMD, why we would pick someone uh, who the very same uh, issue has been raised repeatedly, and that is John Bolton's politicization of the intelligence he got on Cuba and on other issues. Why would we would want someone with that lack of credibility? I can't understand. Wow. Speaking of lack of credibility, Adam. Adam. I like the name Adam, don't you, Mr. Producer? If you're like seven years old, I like the name Adam. I really do. As I said, Adam Schiff is a complete sleazeball. He'll say whatever he has to say. He is your perfect definition of a demagogue. Complete sleazeball, complete demagogue, and a serial liar throughout this entire process. Now we need to hear from Ambassador Bolton. Did you hear him call him Ambassador Bolton once during either of those diatribes, Mr. Producer? No. Even in 2018, March 28, he didn't call him Ambassador Bolton. He didn't want him to be the National Security Advisor. Sounded like a code pink Republican. Sounded like a code pink Republican. No, 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 we can't have him. But I thought you'd want to hear that. Now let's get to the good guys. The guys in the white hats. That's correct. Earlier today, Patrick Philbin, this guy is a superstar. About the litigation taking place. You know, Q&A is going forth. About witnesses. It's all about witnesses. Not about the truth. Just witnesses. By the way, there are many trials without witnesses. I don't know what they're... We always have to have to be witnesses at a trial. No, they don't. What are you talking about? There's a lot of things that go on in a courtroom, including trials, where there's not always a witness. Anyway, I mean, you may have a circumstantial case, and they're not actually first-hand witnesses. But you have cases without witnesses, particularly some civil cases. But anyway, that's beside the point. Patrick Philbin. Cut five. Go. Given that impeachment proceedings are privileged in the Senate and largely prevent other work from taking place while they are ongoing, please address the implications of allowing the House to present an incomplete case to the Senate and request the Senate to seek testimony from additional witnesses. 
I think this is one of the most important issues that this body faces, given these calls uh, to have witnesses, because the House managers try to present it as if it's, it's just a simple question, how can you have a trial without witnesses? But in real litigation, no one goes to trial without doing discovery. No one goes to trial without having heard from the witnesses first. You don't show up at trial and then start trying to call witnesses for the first time. And the implications here in our constitutional structure for trying to run things in such uh, an upside-down way would be very grave for this body as an institution. Because as the senator's question points out, it largely prevents this chamber from getting other business done as long as there is a trial pending. And the idea that the House can do an incomplete job in trying to find out what witnesses there are, having them come testify, trying to find out the facts, just rush something through and bring it here as an impeachment, and then start trying to call all the witnesses means that this body will end up taking over that investigatory task. And all of the regular business of this body will be slowed down, hindered, or prevented while that goes on. There you have it. And of course, he's quite right. Cut six, go. Lastly, onto the point of whether this chamber should hear from Ambassador Bolton. And I think it's important to consider what that means, because it's not just a question of, well, should we just hear one witness? That's not what the real question is going to be. For this institution, the real question is, what is the precedent that is going to be set for what is an acceptable way for the House of Representatives to bring an impeachment of a President of the United States to this chamber? And can it be done in a hurried, half-baked, partisan fashion without, they didn't even subpoena John Bolton below. They didn't even try to get his testimony. And to insist now that this body will become the investigative body, that this body will have to do all the discovery, and that this institution will be effectively paralyzed for months on end because it has to sit as a court of impeachment while now discovery is done because it would be Ambassador Bolton, and if, if there are going to be witnesses, then the president would have to, in order, they said, fair trial, fair adjudication, then the president would have to have his opportunity to call his witnesses. And there'd be depositions, and this would drag on for months. And then that's the new precedent. Then that's the way all impeachments operate in the future. The House doesn't have to do the work. They do it quick. They throw it over the transom. And this institution gets derailed and has to deal with it. And that should not be the way, that should not be the precedent that is set here for the way this body will have to handle all impeachments in the future. Because if it becomes that easy for the House to do it, they'll be doing it a lot. Now let's have a little bit of fun. Let's go live, live to the Senate floor in one minute. I I spooked Mr. Producer there. I want you to hear Patrick Philbin live. As this goes on, uh, I really think the corner's been turned on this. I really do. And I want to say to Cory Gardner, the senator from Colorado, as we like to say, you're a mensch. You stood up. You put out a statement today. You said you've heard everything you need to hear, and you will not support the calling of witnesses. 
and he's in a tough race in Colorado. And he's decided to stand up for our Constitution, ladies and gentlemen. So far, Collins, Murkowski, Romney, and perhaps others have not indicated that they're going to stand up for the Constitution and defend the Constitution against a rogue majority in the House. And we will keep a close eye on that. But I feel they've turned the corner. I hope so. Now live to the Senate floor, Patrick Philbin, Deputy Counsel to the President. And every president will be impeached. That's not what the framers intended, and this body shouldn't allow it to happen here. Thank you. Counsel? The evidence is overwhelming that President Trump pressured foreign government Hakeem Jeffries ladies and gentlemen personal and political gain it's really a uh, a louse go ahead effort to cheat and solicit foreign interference in the 2020 election there is a remedy for that type of stunning abuse of power and that remedy is in the constitution that remedy is impeachment and the consideration of removal, which is what this distinguished body is doing right now. That's not partisan. That's not the Democratic Party. If you can lower him a minute, what we really have here is, on the president's side, a uh, thoroughbreds, legal thoroughbreds, litigators, constitutionalists, really, really smart experienced lawyers. What you have on the Democrat side is lawyers who have experience but not accomplished. And that's why you hear Hakeem Jeffries, who for a while was a corporate lawyer, believe it or not, and for a while was a social activist lawyer before he decided to run for office and absolutely smeared another African-American candidate in a primary to try and defeat him, and he lost. Ran against him again and smeared him again. What you hear a lot of hysteria, panic, platitudes, opinions, and conclusions where they project motive every time. I want you to think about that word when you hear the Democrat House managers. Not facts, not evidence, but motive. Motive. They keep inferring motive. Go. Not the Russians, not the Chinese, the American people. That is why this president was impeached. That is why it is appropriate for Democrats and Republicans, both sides of the aisle, not as partisans, as Americans. Not as partisans, ladies and gentlemen. Tell me, is that how they handled it in the House? Both sides of the aisle, not as partisans? You saw tyranny, what took place in the House of Representatives. Raw tyranny. Go ahead. I send the question to the desk for the House managers. Thank you. Gee, I wonder who that is. Yes, and they're sending the question. Is he writing in Russian or English, Mr. Producer? I, uh, I have a question. Senator Sanders asks the House managers. Republican lawyers have stated on several occasions that two people... Senator Johnson and Ambassador Sondland were told directly by President Trump that there was no pro quo in terms of holding back Ukraine aid 
in exchange for an investigation into the Bidens. Given the media has documented President Trump's thousands of lies while in office, more than 16,200 as of Listen January Listen to this 20th, idiot's question. Why should we be expected to believe that anything President Trump says has credibility? Oh, good question, Bernie, you moron. What a moron. What's the answer to that? All right. Uh, what are they doing? A silent prayer here? What's going on? All right. Well, we'll put this on hold. They're trying to figure out how to answer this, aren't they, Mr. Producer? They're, they're, they're all talking among each other on the, on the house manager's side. What the hell did Bernie just say? We, we don't even know what the hell he's... I'm, I'm not kidding. They're trying to figure out what to say. So we'll move on for now. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. These four pillars are purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught how our government works, and the importance of the Constitution. They must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Now, because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digests and primus, classical K-12 charter schools that it's helping to found coast-to-coast This is a remarkable college, Hillsdale, with a remarkable president, Larry Arnhem, a remarkable faculty, and their students are top-notch. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too, at levinforhillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com, that's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mr. Producer, please go ahead and post the audio of Ambassador Friedman's discussion with us about the president's peace plan. And folks, if you want to hear that, please spread it. It's very important. We'll be right back. Lovin. Straight to the Senate floor. Go. Legal immunity to uh, decline disposing information is somehow a sign of guilt is not the law. It is actually fundamentally contrary to the law. Legal privileges exist for a reason. We allow people to assert their rights. It's a basic part of the American justice system. And asserting your rights, asserting privileges, immunities, due process rights, even if it means limiting the information that might be turned over to a tribunal, is not and cannot be treated as evidence of guilt. And to the second part of the question um, as to the House manager's theory that the the power of impeachment means that the president can't resist any subpoena that they issue pursuant to the power of impeachment, it's not consistent with the Constitution. The Constitution gives the House the sole power of impeachment, which means only that the House is the only place, the only part of the government that has that power. It doesn't say that they have a paramount power of impeachment that destroys all other constitutional rights or privileges or immunities. It doesn't mean that executive privilege suddenly disappears. And the House managers a number of times have cited Nixon versus United States 
Um, or I might get it reversed now, United States versus Nixon. The case involving President Nixon. In 1974, the Supreme Court determined that in that particular case, after a balancing of interests, assertions of executive privilege would have to give way. But it did not say that there is just an absolute blanket rule that any time there's an allegation of wrongdoing or that there's an impeachment going on in the background, executive privilege just disappears. That is not the rule. Let me tell you folks something. I, I would need to know more about Mr. Philbin, his views on a number of very, very important issues. So let me give you that caveat. But if his views on so many issues are like Clarence Thomas's or the late Antonin Scalia's or so forth, if this man would be a great Supreme Court justice, with my caveat, I'll be back. This is where Hollywood liberals come for rehab. The Mark Levin Show is back at 877-381-3811. You know, you should bookmark Mark Levin Show Facebook or Mark Levin Show Twitter because there's a lot of information that, that's up there uh, while you're sleeping. And then when you get up, there's, uh, there's some pretty good information. I can tell you other radio hosts and TV hosts do exactly that. And... Uh, We try to stay ahead of the curb. I'm not a news operation. I'm a one-man operation who sends my stuff to the producer, Mr. Producer, to post. Right, Rich? Pretty much. So there's two of us. (laughs) Sometimes Richie has to jump in. All right. In a perfect world, no one ever find themselves in unmanageable uh, credit card debt. But the reality is it does happen. Job layoffs, medical emergencies, car troubles, life happens. And it can be easy to get deeper into debt if you carry a high balance month every month, month after month. You don't need to carry that high balance with the high interest. Why not make today the day you do something about it? Get a free mortgage review from my friends at American Financing. And learn about refinancing that debt into your mortgage. You'll get a much lower interest rate. You'll only have one manageable monthly payment to focus on. It could mean up to $1,000 in monthly savings, maybe even more. And best of all, you don't have to start your loan term over. And that's going to save you a lot of money on interest. So do yourself a favor. Give American Financing a call. There's no risk. There's no pressure. It only takes 10 minutes to start. Here's the number. 888 888- 1828 888 1828 Or go online at American Financing.net. American Financing, NMLS 182-334, <laughs> Has Ted Koppel lost his mind? I think that's a fair question. Has Ted Koppel lost his mind? Ted Koppel is on PBS, the pubic broadcasting system, and of course we can't live without PBS and NPR. No, no, no. There's not enough TV stations and not enough radio stations. What would we do without them? Well, I'll save a few bucks. Anyway, hat tip newsbusters, cut 16, go. I am wondering, for example, what's going to happen. Let's say, for the sake of argument, yeah. <laughs> yeah. whoever the Democratic candidate is defeats Donald Trump in yeah. November. Yeah. We then have a period from early November until the 20th of January. 
Uh-oh. interregnum period. Yes. When Donald Trump is still president, mm. but he knows that he only has a few months left to serve. Right. How do you think that period will go? Fine. Do you think he will be a gracious loser? Do you, you think mean like uh, stop? You mean like Hillary? You dimwit! You see what's going on in the Senate today? Gracious loser! They don't even accept him as a winner. They're trying to raise doubt in the minds of every American that the 2016 election was Hillary's, stolen by Trump, and they're trying to actually make the allegation and make it stick. That if Trump wins in 2020, it's illegitimate. If the Democrat wins, it's legitimate. This is a, 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 uh, a party that is burning down our institutions. And really, Ted Koppel, even though your thought process has obviously slowed down, you should be giving thought to that, what's happening today, and how the Democrats are positioning themselves. And you might want to know, Ted, it's the Democrats and their left-wing militia types who are extraordinarily violent. Remember all the violence that was going to happen at the pro-Second Amendment rally in Richmond, Virginia? It was all a lie. It was all a setup. Nothing happened. Remember the Tea Party attacked, attacked, attacked? Tea Party was civil. Antifa, they excuse. Black Lives Matter, they excuse. And the rest of the violent left, go. Beat. Uh, and and reach out the hand of friendship to whoever is going to replace What, are you him? smoking something? The hand of friendship? We're still waiting for the hand of friendship with the Trump victory. What are you talking about, man? Anyway, go ahead. I don't think so. Uh, can I Can I see Donald Trump at that point? Making the argument that uh, the election was stolen? Wait a minute, Um, you jerk. They're already making that argument about him. About him. Mr. Bidu, where's that article I had yesterday? Can you help me find that? You you know what I'm talking about? It's a great piece in PJ Media, as as I recall. A great piece, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Democrats who are constantly saying elections were stolen. Constantly. It was a great piece by PJ Media. We're, gonna, we're doing a quick look to see if we can find it because it's a very, very important piece, and I meant to get to it yesterday. There's just so much to do. We can't get to everything. Let's con- Okay, continue with Mr. Koppel, please. Possibility, and I think there are, unfortunately, millions of people in this country today who would respond to that. Oh, boy. In a fashion that, you know, I'm not even sure I, I, I really want to consider all the consequences of where that might go. Could it lead to violence? Yes, it could. Unbelievable what this man is saying. I don't have it yet, Rich. Try your personal uh, email. It's a very important piece. This is called live radio. Oh, yes, I'm alive and this is radio. Live radio. But what's interesting is the Democrats are constantly claiming elections were stolen. Remember the Stacey Abrams in Georgia? Oh, they stole the election from me. They were poised to say that the election was stolen from Obama. But of course it wasn't. All right, here's the piece. And it is PJ Media. It's a great piece, too. 
by Matt Margolis. Flashback, Obama stole an election, not Trump. The president's misconduct cannot be decided at the ballot box, said Adam Schiff last week. We cannot be assured that the vote will be fairly won. So the message was clear. It beats Trump or he'll steal the 2020 election. And if you ask Democrats any time they've lost an election, it was not lost fairly. In 2000, George W. Bush stole Florida. In 2004, he stole Ohio. In 2016, Russia got Trump elected. Any high-profile election lost by a Democrat in a race they thought they would win is met by a cacophony of accusations of voter suppression, foreign interference, vote tampering. You name the excuse, they'll throw it out there, hoping it'll stick. Many Democrats, including presidential candidates, give credence to the conspiracy theory that Stacey Abrams had the Georgia gubernatorial election stolen from her because of, you guessed it, voter suppression. The Democrats' tactic of citing the upcoming 2020 election is merely a preemptive delegitimization should Trump win. And we've talked about that. A Trump victory will for sure, excuse me, a Trump victory will for sure result in Democrats at all levels of government calling for investigations. And there will be coordinated efforts to undermine Trump's second term. And we're going to need to fight them. This preemptive attack on the results of the 2012 election has had me thinking, though. It's long been noted that any time Democrats accuse Trump or Republicans of something, it's the Democrats who are usually guilty of it. A scholarly study, listen, I hadn't even heard this. A scholarly study conducted by the American Enterprise Institute concluded that suppression of the Tea Party movement by Obama's IRS helped him get reelected. Please listen to this. I'm quoting. The Tea Party, this is from the report, the Tea Party's movement's huge success was not a result of a few days of work by an elected official or two, but involved activists all over the country who spent the year and a half leading up to the midterm elections volunteering, organizing, donating, and rallying. Much of these grassroots activities were centered around 501c4s, which, according to our research, were an important component of the Tea Party movement and its rise. The bottom line is that the Tea Party movement, when properly activated, can generate a huge number of votes, vote, more votes in 2010. In fact, that the vote advantage Obama held over Romney in 2012. In other words, they were able to get more votes in 2010 uh, than Obama was able to against Romney in 2012. The data show that had the Tea Party groups continued to grow at the pace seen in 2009 and 2010, he would have brought the Republican Party as many as 5 to 8.5 million votes compared to Obama's victory margin of 5 million. The bottom line, says the report, is that the Tea Party movement, when properly activated, can generate a huge number of votes, more votes in 2010, in fact, than the vote advantage Obama held over Romney in 2012. Have you ever heard that before? I had So Obama was successful in using the IRS to kneecap the Tea Party movement, which was growing, <coughs> excuse me, which was growing, and which would have cost him the election. The effectiveness of the Tea Party, combined with Obama's relatively small margin of victory in key swing states, 
suggests the IRS suppression of the Tea Party movement likely tipped the scales in favor of Obama. Quote, had the Tea Party repeated and built on their activism of 2009 and 2010 and 2011 and 12, Obama would have lost the election. What happened to the Tea Party boost? It didn't grow from 2010. It appeared to weaken, Grover Norquist of Americans for Tax Reform wrote in his book. The Tea Party didn't fall down the stairs. It was pushed, he said. Norquist referenced the fact that Lois Lerner had received specific orders to, quote, do something, unquote, about conservative funding in advance and the 2012 election, after the Citizens United decision by the Supreme Court. Everyone is up in arms because they don't like it. The FEC can't do anything about it. They want the IRS to fix the problem. The IRS laws are not set up to fix the problem. So everyone is screaming at us right now. Fix it now before the election. Lerner said, according to Norquist's book, by targeting conservative groups, hundreds of Tea Party groups were never able to operate and mobilize against Barack Obama in the 2012 election, preventing a similar outcome as the 2010 elections. James Toronto, the Wall Street Journal, agreed that the IRS helped Obama in 2012. He said Barack Obama's re-election deserves to be listed with an asterisk in the record books. We know only that he did win with the help of a corrupt IRS. And if indeed the election was stolen, many in the media were complicit in its theft. For all the Democrats bellyaching about 2016 and now 2020 in advance, it should not be lost on the American public that there's far more evidence that the IRS's targeting of conservatives and the Tea Party groups helped Obama win re-election in 2012 than there is evidence that Trump colluded with Russia, who's trying to steal the 2020 election. Matt Margolis, PJ Media. I want you to keep this in mind. This is why they do not want to clean up the voter rolls. This is why they do not want voter identification. This is why you see more and more in local elections, illegal aliens voting, illegal aliens getting driver's licenses. The Democrats are packing the ballots. They're stuffing the ballot boxes. And we're left to try and catch up and find out if somebody voted illegally or not. And when you try to even look into it, you're said to be a racist. You're said to support voter suppression. This is a disgrace. Obama stole the election in 2012. I think we ought to start saying that. Everybody together. Obama stole the election in 2012. And the Democrats seek to steal the election in 2020. In fact, they're trying to prevent the Republicans from nominating their president for re-election. I want you to think about this. This is the greatest scandal, and it's an ongoing scandal, in American history. The rise of the fascistic slash Marxist radical progressive left in the media, in academia, in Congress. I'll be right back. in. If you own a home, especially if you have equity, consider this fair warning. Home title theft can literally cost you your home. It's very important, which is why I keep trying to remind you that 
This is a huge problem. Forbes ran a story on home title theft and how it's everywhere. More importantly, neither your insurance nor bank protects you. Home Title Lock does. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. This is how you protect your most valuable asset. Or can end up like Deborah. Criminals searched online and found the title to her home. It's not hard because all home titles are online now. They forged Deborah's signature, refiled the title, claiming she sold it, and borrowed 85 grand on her home. She got an eviction notice for non-payment of loans, which she never took out, of course. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. If so, call the cops. If not, register your home for 60 risk-free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. We're going to end the program tonight where we began. With John Bolton, August 27, 2019, in an exculpatory interview, where you'll hear, number one, that the president's discussion on July 25 with the president of Ukraine, as well as his second discussion, was warm and cordial, quote-unquote. Number two, that in fact the president was quite concerned. It was a high-priority corruption in Ukraine. And number three, he was in fact going to meet with the president of Ukraine in Poland, He didn't because of a major hurricane that hit the United States. No quid pro quos whatsoever. Cut to go. Follow up to my visit last year on Independence Day, where I was uh, really honored to have a chance to participate in that. Uh, And now with the new government in Ukraine to see what might be possible going forward on a whole variety of fronts. Do you plan to visit to meet President Zelensky and what messages uh, did you bring to him? Well, I, I will be meeting President Zelensky. Uh, he and President Trump have already spoken twice. The uh, uh, president called to congratulate President Zelensky on his election and then on his success in the parliamentary election. They were very warm and cordial calls. Uh, we're hoping that uh, they'll be able to meet in Warsaw and have a few minutes together uh, because the success of Ukraine, uh, maintaining its freedom, uh, its system of representative government, uh, a free market economy free of corruption, uh, and dealing with the problems of the Donbass and the Crimea are uh, high priorities here, obviously, but high priorities for the United States as well. Well, there you have it. And I'm sure this will be plastered all over CNN and MSNBC, not. But it will be, and has been plastered all over the Fox, over Fox News. And you're welcome, Fox. And this is what we do. And when you go away this evening after the program's over and go on with your business, I want you to remember, I will be working. Isn't it true, Mr. Producer? I will be looking. Because tyranny never rests, and apparently apparently never do I. And that's okay. I'll be out there looking because... The vote is Friday on these witnesses. I've heard it said that McConnell now has the, the votes to stop it. I think you played a significant part in this. We've tried to over the airways in significant ways. I also think the president's lawyers have been superb to a man and a woman. I also think the house managers are the same demagogic political left-wing hacks as they were when they moved to impeach an innocent man, the President of the United States. And I want to thank the President for standing strong. He is truly a wonderful leader. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, 
and all you folks who are protecting us. And I'll see you right here tomorrow. Don't forget, have a wonderful night. God bless you.